Hey, and welcome to the Resound Church podcast. Whether it's your first or your 40th time tuning in, we're so glad you're here. And we pray that you get something powerful from today's sermon. This morning, you're going to get it back. So you only have to wait six months and you're going to get that hour back. And that'll be so good for you all. I'm sure it will affect your relationship positively. The only downside is you're going to wait just six months. So uh, I'm sure you look forward to that as well. The good thing is I actually love daylight savings. I love it being light later into the night. Uh, You're able to be outside a lot more. I'm looking forward to some warmer weather and know it's going to come sooner or later. And, um, And that'll be exciting too. My task today is to talk to you about marriage and family. And you know, it's a strange thing. While we're joking about losing an hour, losing an hour's sleep will actually affect marriages. It'll probably affect families. And, and, and though it's such a small thing in some ways, uh, losing the hour's sleep, the challenge is losing that hour's sleep is going to negatively impact on relationships this morning this afternoon, this evening. And it's such, a, it's, it's such a weird thing for it to happen like that. And as, I, as we talk about marriage and family, I want you to hear what I'm saying. You know, uh, we're in a series called Real Relationships. And I'm not going to be talking to you about uh, some theory. I'm going to talk to you about something that's authentic, something that's genuine. And some of what I say may well be offensive to you. And if that's the case, well, so be it. Uh, the point is this, I want to talk to you about what's real, not, not about what's glamorized in movies or, you know, depicted somehow on the TV or proposed in some document somewhere. Because the reality is in, in families in particular, we're all part of a family of some sort or another. Uh, the reality is quite different from that which is proposed. And so let's get into it. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that today. Let's put our hands together and thank Josh and Mon for their ministry and for all that they're doing for us as well. Let's get started. You know, my task today is to talk about uh, both marriage and family. But I want to make this point right from the start. There is no perfect marriage except mine. And there is no perfect family either. And, you know, what's frustrating to most people is they assume that somebody else's marriage or somebody else's family is somehow better than theirs when each one is actually quite unique and it's meant to be unique. There is no model. You know, when we talk about families, families are a messy business. That is what I mean by that is the model that we hold is not real. It's, it, it, it's quite different from what we understand, yet somehow, some way, we attain to it. You know, just you think of the word model for a moment, and what you think of is uh, some perfect woman, you know, parading around in clothes that don't fit anybody else. Or you think of some man with, a, and most of them have a full head of hair, you know, perfect physique, as if somehow that's normal. Uh, the reality is, that they search for a long time to find what they think is perfect and then they use those people as models and, and yet the bulk of humanity can't reach the standards that those individuals reach. 
And too often to reach those standards, they've gone through enormous pain and heartache to get to be what they are. And yet it's all based on appearance. And the reality is appearance comes and goes. You know, for, in my circumstance, hair comes and goes. I know Jared's talking about getting a haircut this afternoon. Ruth's been doing my haircuts. I, I actually do the front part because uh, that's the part that matters the most. It's the part I see in the mirror and Ruth does the back part. Um, so, you know, Ruth's skills there are on offer for Jared as well if he, if he really needs it. But, but when you think about a model... Uh, well, model cars and model ships or something like that might be okay. When it comes to people, the, the, the model isn't real. And that's true of a family as well. You know, in Australia, less than 37% of families consist of a couple with dependent children. The so-called model may be two adults who are married or not, heterosexual or homosexual, And the children may be biological, fostered, adopted, or simply relatives being cared for. So less than 37% of families in Australia is two adults and some dependents. And, and, And you know, if you wanted to get back to a biological mum and dad and two or three biological children, the number reduces even further. So I want you to keep that in mind. It's a very small percentage of the population when you consider it. Households, on average, are inhabited by 2.6 people. Uh, I don't know what the 0.6 person looks like, but you know what I mean. There's 2.6 people in a household. 25% a single person households. So, so, so think about that. Of all of the people living in Australia, 25% of them are, are, are living alone by themselves in a house. are what we call family households. I'll define that further in a minute. And 4% are what's called group households. It might be uni students living together or something like that. The Australian Bureau of Statistics defines a household as one or more persons, at least one of whom is at least 15 years of age, usually resident in the same private dwelling, and a family as two or more persons one of whom is at least 15 years of age, who are related by blood, marriage, registered or de facto, adoption, step or fostering, and who are usually resident in the same household. So when it comes to the Bureau of Statistics, both households and families, they don't fit the model we think about. And, you know, to to take this a step further, and I do this respectfully because somehow we've created this model and, and hurt ourselves with this model. In the Bible, there's not too many examples of what we call the model family either. Adam and Eve had two sons initially. One son killed the other son. It's far from the model. Joseph had 11 brothers who decided to kill him. He was exiled and later restored. But Joseph had a father with multiple wives. David committed adultery and had multiple wives. John the Baptist was born to parents in their latter years who were childless up to that point. Even Jesus was born to Mary, who was pregnant prior to marriage, and we understand the story. And Joseph appears to have died well before Jesus became 30 years old. We know that Jesus had brothers and sisters, other brothers and sisters, so Joseph obviously continued there for a while, but even Jesus's family was not the normal sort of family that we hold as a model. 
Jesus never married and was a single man. So some of you single people, you're thinking, you know, oh, no, here we're talking about marriage. Is that all there is? No, Jesus was a single man. And you may say, oh, well, that's okay. He was the son of God. The model is for everyone to get married and live happily ever after. Well, the apostle Paul, it appears that he was single. Uh, whether or not he married, or, we're not sure. Whether he, he you, you know, his wife passed away, we don't know. Whether he'd never married, we're not really sure. But what we do know is this. In, as he wrote the books in the New Testament, he lived as a single man. And so, you know, if you're single, what I'm trying to do here is debunk some of the theories we have about the model marriage, the model family, the model life. Because the model is, in reality, super, super rare, and it's just a, it, it's an anomaly rather than the normal experience of people. You know, whatever the state of your family, it's not the model that you should be aspiring to. You know, let's talk about marriage for just a moment. And Sarah touched on this last week when she spoke about marriage and used some passages of scripture from Genesis. I want to read to you from Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through to verse 6 from the New International Version. It says this, when Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and he went to the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And so what Jesus was doing was reiterating the original plan and purpose of mankind. And that is that when, when a male and a female connect together in a relationship and a marriage relationship, that ideally they become partners for life. Can I say to you about marriage, you know, so many people say marriage is about love. I suggest, suggest to you that marriage is more about commitment and commitment is proof of love. People talk about love as if it comes and goes. No, 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 no. The sort of love that we want to focus on is the love that remains, the love that's consistent, and that's proven by commitment. You know, we could read from 1 Corinthians where it speaks about a definition of love. But ultimately, love that remains, love that persists is the one that we're looking for, and that may well not be a romantic love. Ruth and I have been married for 35 years. What does that teach you? What teaches you something about our commitment to one another? But there's a whole lot of other things about our marriage that may well be different to yours. And there's nothing wrong with that because I believe each marriage is unique as well. And what's important is the commitment that you've made and your ability to stick it in, stick it out through thick and thin. Marriage can be challenging. There are great highlights and there are also times of disappointment. But ultimately, the plan that God had from the beginning was when somebody does get married, that they stay together. That's God's design, God's desire. As a matter of fact, in Malachi, it said God, God hates divorce. Now, he wasn't speaking about marriage there. He was talking about his relationship between mankind and himself. And he's saying, I hate the separation. In other words, the, the, the pain that is caused by that separation causes untold damage. 
And so sometimes, you know, when people are going through difficulties in the marriage, they, they, they think the separation will solve the problem. The separation adds to the difficulty. The pain exists and it goes on. And so God's design originally was that man and woman would be joined together and become one flesh and that that would be proven by their commitment to one another. Now, we live in a day and age where it's now lawful for same-sex marriages. Now, I know, you know, we, we talk about marriage in the biblical context as male and female, but in our society today, there are men marrying men and women marrying women. And, 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 you know, you may have a view about that one way or the other, but can I say this? Let's not be the judge. And you might say, oh, Wayne, that, that's, it's, but it's wrong. Yes, there are so many things that are wrong. You know, it's wrong for a, a man to watch pornography. It's wrong for, a, uh, for uh, someone to steal money for, from their workplace. There are many things in our society that are wrong, and some are actually legal. But just because we have a biblical view of marriage doesn't give us the right to judge the others around about us. And we're going to have to keep going through this process, as we have for many years, of um, ensuring that love wins the day and that we reach out with acceptance. Our goal is not to judge people. Our goal is to love them and to accept them and hopefully to lead them to Christ so that they might find his purpose for their lives. So think about it this way. There are people all around us living all sorts of lives with all sorts of values. The goal is simply to love them and to show them our understanding of what God has for their lives. You know, my computer's just turned off, which is really, really helpful. It'll come back, so it's all good. Now, um, I want to talk to you a little bit more about family. I've already said, you know, the traditional family that we have in mind of a mum and dad and 2.3 kids or whatever, it's, it's not normal. It's, it's not the way that it is. They use that as a model for economic reasons, a range of other things. Families are made of all sorts of different people in different constructs now. And, um, and the sad thing is this, too often the model family, uh, appearance-wise, may well be destructive when you get inside of that family. And the one that doesn't look like it's a model externally or appearance-wise may have all the things going on in it that a family ought to have. But I want to talk to you about a, a, a family, the family of God for a few moments because the Bible speaks of that as well and I'll get to the reason why I talk about that in a few moments and first Peter 2 verse 17 I'll read through a bunch of scriptures really quickly it says this and in reference to what I said before about same-sex marriage it says this show proper respect to everyone and that should be our practice in every sphere of life show proper respect to everyone Love the family of believers, fear God, and honour the emperor. And you know, I know today people are frustrated with the experience we find ourselves in. Melbourne's now got the record for the longest lockdown uh, or hard lockdown in the world. And you know, that's not something to be proud of. But the reality is we live in this state and there's not much we can do about that. But to me, you know, my conduct is still important. The way I think, the way I act, the way I speak, it's still important that I align what I think and say and do with the scriptures. And this passage is so simple yet profound. Show proper respect to everyone. 
Love the family of believers, fear God, honour the emperor. First Peter 5, 9 says this, and let's remember, let's remember that the emperor then was an evil, evil, evil man, killing many, many people. 1 Peter 5, 9 says this, resist him, meaning the devil, standing fir- uh, resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Hebrews 2, 11 says this, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Uh, First Timothy 3, 4, speaking about elders and things, says he must, not manage, he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. First Thessalonians 4.10 says this, and in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. Galatians 6.10, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Uh, you, you must say, why all these passages of scripture about family of believers? The, the key is this. Do you know, we don't have a choice about the family that we are born into. It's not something we get to choose. And he, the family you've been born into may have been a great blessing to you, or it may, may have been filled with difficulty and strife. But can I say there is a family, a, the family of believers, which is less than perfect, that hopefully will offer some of the principles and the values that a family ought to offer. I said before, you know, the model family may appear to be good on the outside, but get inside and it could well be toxic. Whereas the family that doesn't look like the model, when you get inside it, there may be the principles that keep a family healthy existing, and that will make a significant difference. Do you you know, I I want to read to you from Mark chapter 3, verse 20 to 22, it speaks about Jesus's family. It says, then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him for they said he is out of his mind. The teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said he is possessed by uh, Bezabel, by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. The point I want to make from that passage of scripture is this. Jesus was doing what he was doing, you know, he's getting around, talking to people, healing people, saying things, but his family heard what he was doing and they went to take control of him. It's like, we've got to stop this guy from doing what he's doing. And, 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 you know, and, and in their minds, they were saying he's lost his, he's lost his mind, he's he's out of control. And, and, you know, I don't know about your family, but, um, uh, I, you know, that might be the case with us. Sometimes from time to time, I'll see Josh and I think, he's out of his mind. What's he doing? He barracks for a strange football team or whatever. Now, I, I say that jokingly, but the reality is, is some families want to take control of individuals within the family in a way that's inappropriate. Jesus resisted that. And we need to consider, uh, consider those things as well. I'm going to run through some things Uh, some points about experiencing a healthy family life. Now, you may agree with what I'm saying. You may not agree with what I'm saying. And and I appreciate that because uh, what I say will be limited in its scope. But there is some benefit in what I'm going to say. First is this. Love must be the rule. Real love shows and creates restraints. Now, 
you know, in our day and age, the world says love is the rule and then it defines what it means by love. For me, you, you know, ultimately the definition of love comes from the Bible and agape love in particular. I'm saying agape love must be the rule and real agape or real love shows restraint and it also creates restraints. You know, as a dad and Ruth and I together as parents, our goal was always to show our girls that we love them. Made a decision when they were very young that we were going to express our love no matter what they did, what they said, where they went, how they conducted themselves. Our love would not ever end. It would go on and on and on and on and on. That was the goal. And why was that the goal? Because we're good people? No, because that's the model of um, love that we receive from our Heavenly Father. And our responsibility is to express the same sort of love for our children. Now, uh, we've been fortunate, you know, uh, with our girls. They've done lots of things right and a few things wrong. Uh, As a matter of fact, they've done less things wrong than I did. And so it made it easier probably to love them. But the goal was this, to always act with love in mind. And when you're talking about love being in mind, you're acting for their well-being. So when I say love restrains or shows restraint, there were times when I had to restrain my actions, my thoughts, my anger, my frustration, my, uh, uh, my will, because I loved my girls. There are other times where I had to restrain them from their actions because I love them as well. And so, you know, in a, in a family, and it doesn't matter whether it's mum and dad and 2.3 kids or whether it's, you know, a, a, a blended family yeah, where, where two divorced people have come together and got married and there's multiple kids that are not necessarily related to one. It doesn't matter. Love needs to rule, but it needs to be the, uh, the definition of love needs to come from the Bible because otherwise love becomes a, a fluid thing, which is really, really difficult to handle. The second point is this, expect everyone to exercise respect, no matter a person's age or maturity. I remember being criticised multiple times when our children were very little babies. And my attitude was this, uh, children, even babies are smarter than what you think. They know what they want, they know how to get what they want. In other words, a baby that's crying for food knows that its cry is manipulating its circumstance to get the outcome that it's after. So so don't think that they're somehow lacking in their instincts or their understanding. They've got what they... and, And, you know, as babies grow a little bit into toddlers, toddlers know exactly what they're doing. When they throw a tantrum in the supermarket, what they're doing is they're exercising their control. Uh, uh, And what we need to do as parents in those circumstances is show respect, but also expect respect. Uh, Many times, you know, I used to say to the girls, come on, no, show respect to your mother. They they probably disrespected me, but never, uh, never overtly to my face because they knew there was a consequence to that. But there would be times where they did disrespect their mother. And there were many times, don't you ever speak to uh, to your mother like that again? Because respect is appropriate and important and a key part of being a part of a family. Now, in our family, and some of you know as well, there's a lot of humour. And, and, and at times it looks disrespectful, but there's an underlying base respect that is transferred between all of us that continues. And, and sure, boundaries are pushed, but that's part of it. Where grace and love exist, you can do that and it can be part of the fun. So expect everyone to exercise respect, no matter a person's age or maturity. 
The third point is this, let everyone be themselves, speak their mind and test their limits. Now, every child in a family ought to be able to grow and express themselves. We don't want to suppress their thoughts or their actions. What we want to do is help them grow and mature and develop into the person that they want to be. We want them to speak their mind and we also want them to push the limits. They're good qualities in a person, especially as they grow into an adult. But it should be true across the board in a family that everyone gets the same opportunity to be who they really are. Now, I've often said, you know, just because you're feeling bad is not an excuse to mistreat somebody else. You know, when someone's uh, wanting to be themselves, there's no problem with that. But as long as they're not mistreating someone in the process, there's some good keys there. So I want to encourage you in the family that you're a part of, whether you're the parent, whether you're the child, whether it's extended family, let everyone be themselves. You may agree with them, you may not agree with them. You don't have to agree with what everyone else says or does. It should, you shouldn't be withdrawing love based on their behavioural patterns because love should be consistent, as I said at the start. The next point is this. Families are meant to be safe places as well as provide security. What I mean by that, and uh, there's the obvious thing, you know, uh, a family should be a safe place. So people should... Uh, the members of the family should feel like that in their home they are okay. And, um, you, you know, sadly, more and more we hear so many stories of families not being a safe place. And that's just awful, the thought of it for me. But a family, as well as being a safe place, ought to provide security. I want Ruth to feel secure in our family. I want all of our girls and our sons-in-laws and our grandchildren to feel safe in our family. Why? Because when someone feels safe, they can be who they are. When you're gripped by fear, somehow part of you gets suppressed. And, and um, you know, that, that's not right. It's not appropriate. As a matter of fact, and I'll, I'll get, get to this later, but we'll be finishing soon. In the, in the church, is meant to be a family. You, you know, people are meant to be able to express themselves fully. But when fear reigns, their behavior is changed out of uh, concern for their well-being. And finally, families urge each other to succeed in their chosen endeavor. They cheer one another on and grieve in times of difficulty and challenge. Do you know, in a family, in the ideal family... People should find themselves in a, if, if I can put this politely, in a well-fertilized place. If you plant vegetables in well-fertilized soil, then the vegetable will grow. And I'm not saying our children are vegetables. But what I am saying is this. If, if a child gets the opportunity of growing in a place where they're urged to succeed in their chosen endeavor, where they're cheered on, where they're allowed to cry when they want to cry and laugh when they want to laugh, when they're where they're allowed to grieve in times of difficulty and change and celebrate in, in great victories, then what actually happens is they get to be the person they're uniquely made and called to be. Every family should give this opportunity to those who are a part of that family. And can I say this, whatever the makeup of your family, it's not what it appears to be on the outside that matters. It's what's going on the inside that makes the difference. And can I encourage you, focus on what's going on on the inside. I know there are people sometimes that look at my marriage with Ruth or they may look at the way uh, I, I banter with the girls or whatever else and, 
they may have their own view. Do you, do you know what? Their view doesn't matter that much to me. What matters most is what happens inside. The way that uh, those who are within our family experience life is what matters most to me. And can I say this for the church? It should be the same way. I want everyone who's a part of this family of God to grow and to thrive and to be themselves, to express themselves, to push the limits. I want them to, to know the freedom that comes from knowing Christ, but I also want them to be pushed to become the person that God has created them to be. And I finish by reading this passage of Scripture from 1 John 4, 7 and 8. And he said, he, he said it this way, John said, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not know God, I'm sorry, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And so whether it's a marriage or a family that you're in, that may be the one and the same. Let love rule. Not the undefinable, flexible, fluid love that exists in our community, but the strong and secure agape love that the Bible speaks so clearly about. Let love rule in your relationship with God. Let love rule in your relationship with your spouse. If you're married, if you're single, don't feel like you're something less or someone less. A goal, our goal, all of our goals is to be reconciled with God and to find ourselves in the family of believers and there to thrive. Will you pray together with me? Father, I pray today in a macro sense for our church that we could be a family of believers that puts into practice the things, some of the things that I've said today. In a smaller sense in our families, whether that be extended family or whether that be in our nuclear family, I pray that somehow, some way, love would rule. None of us are perfect. None of us get everything right. But my prayer is that you would help us, that, Lord, we'd learn to ask for forgiveness, that we'd be able to discuss, debate, and that the outcome, the end result would be that each person might work towards the potential that's placed within them by you, that they might thrive, find a place of security and experience the fullness of life that you intended them to receive. Father, I pray today, bless everyone who's watching online in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks. Enjoy your day. Thanks for listening through this message recorded live at Resound Church in Melbourne. You can find out more about who we are online, including our service times and live streams. Have a great week and we'll catch you next time.